Hello. Thank you for joining me and listening in on this podcast where I interview guests on all things education. My guests will share stories about their educational background, their views on teaching and learning, and where they see education heading. I interview teachers, edtech founders, higher ed folks, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of this education podcast. I'm with my friend Caroline Kuntz, who's an educator and a producer. Thank you, Caroline, for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. So I'm just going to ask you a little bit about your opinion around education. And I'm mostly focused on where you think it is now and where it's heading in the future. But first, I'd like to ask you about your background and what your education was like growing up. Uh, Great. Well, I really loved being a student. I really loved the classroom. And I think, you know, I think uh, the brain is a social organ. And so when I look back at my education as a kid, um, I had a really great social environment. So I really trusted my teachers. I trusted my friends. And, and, that, and so I really enjoyed learning and being in school. But I also think a lot about the learning I did at home. Uh, my dad was an engineer, and he was nuts about airplanes. And so I spent a lot of time like building model airplanes with him and working with him on his home-built like two-seater airplane. Um, and also he worked with me on my science projects, and I learned a lot through that, um, kind of learning by doing and kind of learning by apprenticeship. And uh, yeah, just I think a lot of my learning experiences that really stayed with me were with him in kind of the, like a, a small environment, hands-on. And again, that social component that we were kind of learning and creating together. Um, and I... I also I also have an interesting educational background because I moved to England when I was uh, 14 for my freshman year of high school. So, you know, I went for four years, essentially kind of secondary school in England. And so I saw the British way of doing things. And, and what I loved about the system is they focus, they kind of go for quality versus quantity. So in England, for example, like we cover, we take four years of studying chemistry if you decide to focus on chemistry. And we cover about the same as what a typical AP chem student would cover in the U.S., which is done over one or two years at most. And we, but but I feel like at coming out of England, I I felt like I was much I knew that content much more than I feel like high school students get to know coming out of American high schools. And I, you know, it was very hands-on and small classrooms. And I loved it. And I grew to love the sciences. And especially, I think, as a girl learning the sciences in high school, I think. That, that curriculum can sometimes feel foreign or, you know, and at first I actually didn't want to take the sciences. I remember when I moved to England, we had the, you have to choose about like nine or 10 subjects to focus on for your first two years. That's called the GCSEs. The, 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 I was sitting in the headmaster's office and the headmaster was like, oh, you know, you don't have to pick 10, you know, pick eight or seven or something, you know, because I think he thought that I was, you know, I was coming in kind of a couple months into the school year and I he had no idea what my learning was before that point and um and kind of and i think there's probably this perception that we're american and we're kind of don't work hard or don't know much and uh, or so and uh so he's like yeah don't you know don't stress yourself out just like you know pick seven or eight subjects and and i was like oh okay you know i kind of trusted him and i said 
And, and you had to pick at least one science, and it was biology, physics, or chemistry. And the time, I really didn't know what I wanted to be. So I was like, well, I'll just pick biology because I knew something about biology, like had to do with animals or the environment, and I liked that. And my dad said, you know, Caroline, I, I think you should take physics because I think it'll expose you to just a lot of things in the world that are very just fundamental to how the world works. And there's, I think, just some basic concepts that I really think would be good to be exposed to and to learn about. And I really trusted my dad, and he rarely like gave me advice unless it was he felt it was important, you know. So I was like, oh, oh okay, dad, all right, we'll, we'll take physics, you know. And, uh, and then I remember my first, so I think the British teachers there, a couple of American kids were coming in because Boeing was there working with British Aerospace. So multiple kids were coming into this particular British school. And so I think the, the word got sent out to the faculty, like, okay, you got to catch these American kids up. You know, they're, you know, who knows what they've learned before here, before now. And also they're coming in a couple months into the school year. And especially in the British system, you take these big exams at the end of your second year, the GCSEs. And the school's reputation really depends on good results in those exams. So the, the teachers, the school is very invested in you doing very well in those exams. So yeah, like we, we can't let these American kids pull our test scores down, you know. So everyone, you know, take extra time, meet with them after your school or during lunch and get them caught up. So my physics teacher arranged to meet with me during my lunch or something during my one of my off periods, my study periods. And... I came in, he was this very British, very gruff, like Northern British guy, kind of, and, and I can't even like do his accent because it was just, it's just so unique. He's like, right, we'll sit here and do this, you know? And, and I sat there and I was so intimidated. I hadn't been exposed to physics at all at this point, like, because I was a freshman in high school. Like, uh, some kids start taking physics uh, their freshman year, they get exposed to like lenses or forces. And I just never had any of that. So I, it was all very foreign to me. And, uh, and I was a little intimidated. He, he sat me down in front of this apparatus. They were studying lenses and light. And he was like, okay, try to do what you can. And then he just sat there staring. He sat there watching me while I was supposed to do oh, this yeah. experiment. <laughs> and I was so self-conscious. And I was like, okay, okay, Caroline, just, you know, look smart. You know? <laughs> like, look like you're doing something. What does smart look like? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I was so aware that he was sitting there looking at me. So I was moving the lens, like we had a beam of light and the light was going through the lens and... I just was kind of moving it askew a little bit, a couple degrees, like changing the angle of it, just trying to look like I was doing something smart. And he was like, oh, get out of it. Like, oh, this, like, look, when you come across something, you, you push it to extremes. Like, move the lens way up close to the light, way back far and see what happens, and then explore the middle area, right? You go to the extremes. Like, just, you know, don't faff about doing these little things. <laughs> but I, I probably would have done that had he just like let me explore, but I was so self-conscious and nervous. So so then, um, so that was like my first interaction with him. And then my second interaction with him, he gave me these, we were doing light and it was about the angle of incidence and the angle of reflection, if I remember correctly. But it's like the refractive index equals sine I over sine R. And he gave me some problems. So he showed me showed me one practice problem and then gave me two or three practice problems to kind of do my own just next to him. And so I did the first one. It was just like the one he gave me. And then the second one, you actually had to, he, he gave you the, the wrong angle. He gave you the adjacent angle. So you had to subtract the angle from 90 to get the actual angle. So he's sitting there and that's the second problem. And I've been, you know, I've done the first and I move on to the second one and I do it. And he goes, stop, just, just, just stop. Like, look, I'm, I wasn't very nice to you. I gave you, I, I was trying to trick you here. Let, 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 just, just stop. I don't want you to go doing it the wrong way. And he looks and then you realize that I'd done it the right way, that I actually caught the fact that he gave me the wrong angle and I subtracted it from 90. And so he starts chuckling. He's like, 
Lassie, I owe you an apology. I thought you weren't going to do it correctly, but you know, 99 out of students would not have done that, but you did it. And you know, my, my apologies, Lass. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so after that, he, um, like, like, I don't know, I guess I earned his respect at that point. And so he was like, kind of, uh, like he really seemed to believe in me from then on. And I felt like mm-hmm. I had this, like, this person who was in the science club, you know, and was kind of saying like, yeah, you're, you can do this. You're good at this. And it was a compliment. I took it as a compliment and it meant a lot to me. And it really stuck with me. I think definitely throughout those four years and even into college when science got hard and I started to question my abilities. And, but I think little things like that are so important for kids. Like when someone recognizes a strength of theirs Um, and the opposite can be really damaging. I mean, I think had we not had that moment and he just kind of stayed, you know, gruff and presumed I wasn't very good at this stuff, it would have been horrible, you know? So, so I think that's why, you know, those teacher-student relationships need to be strong because I think, you know, once you get to know someone well, you can see their strengths. Like you just, I don't think there's a way that you couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think getting to know students or getting, you know, teach, I think it's really important for teachers to know their students well so that they can see those strengths and reflect them back to the student. A, a year later, um, or actually not that, like six months later, I decided I might want to be a doctor. So, you know, I'm like after my freshman year or after fourth year in England and, you know, I'm like 14 years old and I'm like, I think maybe I want to be a doctor. And I think maybe it was because I had been, I was doing well in the sciences and I started to question those doors I had closed off for myself. And um, and I knew to be a doctor needed chemistry. So halfway through this two-year course, um, by then the, the, the faculty f- felt like I was capable. And so I told my mom I want to take chemistry. And, and I guess we, I don't remember who we talked to first, but I think we went to headmaster and, we're, and we were like, Caroline would like to take chemistry. And he supported that. So I spent the summer kind of like checked out a book from the library and spent a summer trying to catch up on the first half of the chemistry course. And then also mom, uh, mom found a tutor and I worked with a tutor a little bit. And then also my chemistry teacher the next year also was willing to work with me uh, at lunchtime and after school to kind of catch me up. Um, and then, um, and then, and that was, and I loved chemistry. In fact, I loved it more than I, I think it was, became one of my favorite sciences and I was not expecting that at all. I'd never really had any exposure to chemistry before. And didn't have, like, at least my dad was an engineer, and they didn't feel like they did a lot of chemistry. They did kind of more physical stuff. Like, so I just had no no exposure to chemistry in the workplace or as a study in, until that class. And, and actually, I really, really enjoyed it. And then I was so proud of myself. I remember at the end, when, when, so we took our exams at the end of those two years. And, you know, we're like 16. And and I remember, I, I, I think my chemistry teacher they get the raw scores back, I think. And I think the raw scores of all the students. And I, and he, when he was writing my letter of recommendation for college that he said that I, and he remarked on how I took this course, like I came into this course halfway through it and I still got the top score of all the students in the whole school. And, and again, like the power of those types of that recognition, right. That kind of specific, meaningful recognition from someone who knows you and who you respect um, is really powerful because I remember feeling really awesome (laughs) about that, you know? Um, And uh, so, so, so for the last two years, then in England, at least at the time you, you have to specialize. So they call that a level at for advanced level and you pick, they, they really don't like you. At first I thought, well, I'll just pick, English and then like physics and then like Spanish or art, right? I'll pick kind of like a language and a science and then an art. 
And they're like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) They did not like that. They really uh, preferred students to specialize because that's what they're kind of prepping you already for the workforce. Um, And then when you get to university, you I really don't think they have any sort of those like general ed requirements in British universities. You, If they do, they're very minor. You really just take the courses for your area of study, like for your major. So my A-levels, so I was like, okay, fine. And I knew I wanted to be a doctor. So I decided to take physics, chemistry, maths, and further maths. Mm-hmm. Further maths. Further maths. Yeah. Yeah. So it was two maths courses. Yeah. And yeah, and, it, and because you specialize, classes are really small, right? Because you have just students not taking as many classes. So my physics class, we had six, seven students in it. And my further math wow. class, yeah, yeah. And then my further math class, you know, lots of students took maths, but very few students took further math. So there were four of us. It was great, you know, like I felt I liked feeling special, I guess, or I liked feeling that I was... You know, like, you know, doing something that not everyone else was doing. Um, and I think there was something kind of appealing about that. Um, I did miss, you know, English because that's kind of where I, when I was little, I thought I wanted to be a ballerina. And then I think I wanted to be a choreographer. You know, I wanted to be Paul Abdul, you know. And, and then I think at some point I really actually wanted to be in music videos. Like I thought that would be something to do, you know. And then, um, and then I think at some point I thought I would be a writer, like, and, and I really liked writing. I really liked creating stories. And, and then also I think all that time I really wanted to be an actress. So, so that's kind of where my tendons, my inclinations were, you know, to be in the arts, to be performing, to be creating. It wasn't necessarily to be doing anything technical or involving business or anything like that. So when I came to England and I started to focus on the sciences, it was quite kind of a change in my path. So I was not expecting to be focusing on maths, further maths, physics and chemistry, you know, in my last two years of high school. But I also didn't like the way they taught English in England. Ugh. So I remember, so I, okay, like I loved writing, right? So I go to my English class and all the writing we did was only timed writing. We never did any writing that we took home or any sort of research essays or anything like that because the only writing you needed to do was for the test and that's the only thing that mattered. And the writing you did on the test was timed and was on an, an unknown a surprise prompt. So that's the only type of writing we did was, you know, we, we walk in and they give us a prompt and you have 45 minutes to write an essay and you write it and you're done. And I didn't like that. You know, I, 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 I like, you know, you know, ex, you know, writing can be kind of exploratory, you know, and you kind of discover your opinion through writing or you do some research and then you kind of change your ideas or, or you read, you write and then you go back and you read it and you change it, you know, which you can still do in kind of time circumstances. So the first writing assignment I was given was, you know, in my first couple of weeks of um, being in England and they had this poetry anthology we worked from. And so I was writing an essay maybe on these poems and, uh, and, and I was done, right? Like you have 40 minutes and it was, 35 minutes and I was done, you know, and I'm trying to be a really good student here. I'm trying to really, you know, I know the British teachers have it in for me. I got in a lot of trouble for like saying, Hey, to my teachers or for um, not following certain procedures. Like if you come in late, I thought the polite thing to do would be just to walk quick, like quietly to my desk. And I got in trouble because I didn't apologize when I came in first thing. If you, if you let the like, if you come in late to school, you're supposed to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm late, sir. And that's, you're supposed to say that immediately. And if you don't, you get in trouble or like, 
we're not allowed to walk down the hallways without our blazers on. And that wasn't apparent to me. I got in trouble for not having my blazer on in the hallway. So, so I'm trying really, really hard to impress people. So I have 45 minutes or something for the essay, and I'm done in like 30 or something. And I decided, and I, and I went back and I reread it and I crossed some stuff out and I changed some words. And, and then I was like, no, I really want to say, you know, so then I added some stuff with, you know, a little carrot and adding and, um, and then I was done. And then I was like, I still had like eight minutes and I was like, okay, I'm going to make good use of my time. I'm going to rewrite it out as a nicer draft. So I take out another piece of paper and I'm writing out, trying to write it out, you know, including my revisions and making it real neat. And, and then, but I didn't have time to rewrite the whole thing because time was up. So I just stapled them together and handed them in. And I kind of, I think I labeled them on the front, like rough draft and then final draft, right? Mm -hmm. And he is so confused. He's like, he's baffled. So like a couple of days later, he's like, what? I don't understand. I don't understand. Like what, 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 what's, what's going on here? I was like, oh, well, this was my rough draft. <laughs> and then I made and I was made revisions on it, but I still had extra time. So I thought I would just write it out, you know, very neatly over here. And he was like, oh, oh, so really, I shouldn't be even be looking at your rough draft. I shouldn't be grading it. I should just be grading this final draft, which isn't done. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that because I actually wrote it over here in my rough draft. <laughs> So I should still get, you know, you should still read it there and, you know, account for that, you know. And he was like, but why are you crossing things out? You know, like, I don't understand. And I was like, well, you know, making revisions. And he was like, well, no, you're drawing attention to your mistakes. You know, you don't cross things out when you're writing. You know, it'll just draw attention to your mistake. And I was wow. like, oh, my. And I, I just was like, wow, this is different. This is different. Okay. And so then that's how, you know, you just... I was like, okay. In my head, I'm like, okay, this is different. So then I learned that's just what they want. So that's what I'm going to do. And then they even went, they did kind of things that I thought were silly where that you're supposed to include quotes in your essays, right? Okay. And um, so, but they advised us to underline our quotes. And I thought that was silly because that's not what you do. That's not like, Emma, that's not like, You don't, you underline a book title, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Like in a bibliography, we don't necessarily need to underline a quote. Like there's just no basis for that. But the point was, is you underline it so that you draw the examiner's attention that you're including quotes. You're like, hey, look at me. I'm including quotes. Aren't I great? And I was like, roll the eyes. I'm like, okay, guys, you know, okay, fine. You know, and, and so then I started underlining my quotes, but then they got mad at me because I didn't underline them with a ruler. So, so I had to have, you know, so all, you know, all this, you know, British kids there, we had our little mini rulers that we all had out when we're writing our English essays so that we can underline our, our quotes that we use, you know. So, so, so writing, and there was no creative writing whatsoever. Like that wasn't really valued at all in school. Like just, no, I don't know anyone who ever did that ever for any class. So, so I kind of did miss that. I missed a place in school, I guess, where I could do that or, you know, have it been recognized or just explore that or whatever. And, and so I think I still, I kept a journal, I think most of high school and I still read a lot. Like I would love to go to, when we came back to the States for summers or whatever, I would like love to go to Barnes and Noble and look at like the displays and see what was new and kind of take some books and then, you know, read them on my own. But, but I definitely missed taking English, but I didn't want to take English in England because I just didn't like the way I felt when I was in that class. It was that felt very constraining. I will say, though, in the defense of the British system, is that, I, you know, I don't necessarily know how important it is to write 
this kind of formulaic essays that they really emphasize in, in America, like this kind of five-paragraph essay or or even we spend so many years having kids learn how to analyze literature and, and, and analyze it in an essay. And, and I don't know that as America, we need citizens who can do that, right? Like you need to be able to communicate and to write effectively. And, and what I think the British system was great at doing is you wrote in all your classes. So, I mean, maybe not essays, but um, in all of your uh, uh, tests, they're not just multiple choice. The, you know, the big tests we take at the end of two years, they're not just multiple choice tests. Like half of, it's, it's actually not multiple choice at all. It's all short answer and some long answer questions. So you have to get good at explaining your ideas um, across subject matter. And I think that's great. And I think, to, I think that's maybe where we're kind of missing the mark in America is not, is ha- like we have our kids write but, in these, but not enough and in these very artificial ways. So in England, we weren't really writing much in English, but we were writing everywhere else. And I think as a country, I think that's probably fine. But maybe maybe they can be more open to rough drafts. <laughs> um, so, so, so yeah, so in England, I focused on the sciences and that was quite a departure for me. Um, and then I thought I was uh, going to be a doctor, but then all my doctor... Like my brother-in-law's a doctor, my cousin's a doctor, and they talked me out of it. They were like, "Don't be a doctor." <laughs> they felt like it was just very, um, like it's just diag- diagnosing, right? Like people come in with symptoms A, B, and C, and then your diagnosis is D, and that's kind of a lot of just what it was. And you actually, and I think a lot of they felt that you know if you're getting into medicine to help people, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't actually feel like you're helping people. And then especially depending on where you're at like the demographics of your area, you know, if it's, if it's an area in crisis, it's incredibly stressful. Um, and sometimes you feel like you're not in a position to adequately serve the people who are in need. And then very affluent areas. Uh, my cousin told me the story of um, people coming in, complaining about having so much f- a house full of furniture and nowhere to put it because. To their doctor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, so I was kind of like turned off of being a doctor, but you know, I, I, I got into Stanford, which which was my goal, I think, from a little girl. My my older sister went to Stanford. She she was seventeen when she got accepted, and I was five. So from a very very young age, I just she like I was just in my head. I had this image of being there, and it wasn't even like really something deliberate on my part. It was just it was almost like assumed, right? Like, yeah, I'm gonna go to college. I'm gonna go to I could go to Stanford or something like it, you know, and I, and I think that was, was really powerful having that just be the assumption from the age of five, that that is a place where I could be, you know? And so, and then one sec, I think you learn, I think pretty quickly that you, you know, you need good grades and good teacher recommendations and you want to take the challenging classes. And I did all, started to do all that with that in mind. And then, um, and then, of course, in England, if you were if you did well, they really pushed you to apply to Oxford and Cambridge. Um, and so, uh, or actually, you have to pick one. You can't apply to both. You have you have to pick one. That's the way it works. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, that that you know, and again, that that process of people believing in you and and thinking you're thinking you're worthy of uh, of lofty goals is really powerful. Um, and uh, so, so you know, I I. Really, I aimed high, and I got into Stanford, and I was so excited. And I was really excited to go back to the states, 
where I could write again, you know, <laughs> and maybe do some theater and Chicano literature studies and stuff. And, and again, like, um, I also missed kind of the diversity of the U.S. Um, England is diverse in parts, but where I was, it was, it, 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 there weren't many kind of immigrant families there. And, and also I think in terms of class, it was fairly segregated. So, you know, I think my experience in England, what we just didn't have much diversity. I got to travel a lot, uh, which was awesome. But, um, in terms of day-to-day diversity, it, that really wasn't, it wasn't there. Um, and then also being Mexican, like seeing myself as Mexican, you know, being Latina, Chicana, I also really just was away from that. So I also really looked forward to going back to the U.S. and was excited to be in California where I felt like I would really be able to, you know, experience that and kind of be amongst that. that. So, And then also I knew Stanford had um, uh, El Centro Chicano, and I knew that they had things like Chicano grad, Chicano graduation, like my sister participated in Chicano graduation, and I thought that was just awesome. So, you know, when she, if she graduated – uh, you know, four years later, I would, I would have been nine. And I just thought that that was awesome, you know, and, and then again, that that was the norm for me, seeing all these Latinos line up at Stanford graduating with all their familia out there. It was just, I just thought that was great. And I was really excited to, to be there and experience that. And Stanford really seemed to be a place that promotes themselves as valuing diversity. And I was really, really excited to be part of that. So, so got to Stanford and freshman, and I'm, and it was in Stanford, for me, it was just it was just awesome. At, at least in the beginning, and then it got and then it got hard. <laughs> yes. Um, but I remember like going walking up to my freshman dorm, and I don't know if they still do it, but the RAs there, you know, the resident advisors, they they memorize your your picture. Um, and back then, it was like more impressive. Now you could just look up everyone anyone's face online. But back then, you sent in a picture, and they collected them into a little booklet. I think it was called a Facebook. Was it called a Facebook? Yeah. (laughs) And it was an actual book full of faces, (laughs) just faces. And and they memorized your face and name. So on move-in day, walking up to my dorm, they have this little PA system. And my RA yells out, and it's Caroline and her family coming in. And I was just like, oh, this is like amazing. I'm so excited. It's wonderful. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I, Stanford was a lot, was, a, was, I feel like, like that a lot. Um, just people rooting for you and people happy, people happy and then also happy to be around you. And that is, is great. I think not just for learning, but for living, right. Just being in an environment of, of positivity and respect and happiness and fun. Um, and at the same time, also, you know, being ready to put in the work and the work for the sake of the work, um, not necessarily for rewards per se, but, um, yeah, I think you just, at Stanford, there was just a lot of people who just really loved, who, who valued working hard and had lots of different talents and skills and experiences. And that was, that was really fantastic. Um, but you know, I went there expecting to major in physics and I was going to, I think I had it planned out. I was going to double major in physics and Chicano studies. That was my plan. Um, and I took, um, I took, I, I, w- I went for the math honors class and I was just kind of really intimidated. And, and, and I talked to my brother-in-law at, at the time and he said that he, he kind of, he listened to my experience that class. Like you walked in the class and he just starts r- doing these equations really fast on the board. And I followed them mostly, but gosh, it was fast and it was dry. 
and 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 that whole social component that that I that that I feel like is really important was gone. Right? It's just a talking head in the front of a classroom, hundreds of people, and especially on day one, not enough room to sit down because everyone's like trying out the class and. And I was like, nope, <laughs> like, like uh, never mind, you know. And it wasn't like a confident no. It was like a, oh, crap, no, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, but I, I did st- stick with the math course. Um, at Stanford, I, I think there's like, I think there's maybe an intro to calc series and then a calc series and then a multivariable calc series. And so it was the multivariable calc series. Um, and I took it and I, I think I maybe got a B or something. Um, and I, and, and, and I I think my saving grace was that my best friend, the girl who came to be my best friend was also in that class. She wasn't in the same section with me, but, but we all largely had the same homework and had the same finals. And then another friend was in that class. And I remember we would work together on these problem sets and, uh, and, that's what I remember of all the class. I remember working on those problem sets together. You know, I, it was hard. It was hard. And I felt very isolated in class. Like that whole learning community that I had in my class was in England was, was not there. And it just, I don't know. And I also didn't know what it was for. Like I wasn't going to be a doctor and I knew what that was. And, but I didn't know what else I was going to be, you know? And, and I think especially being a woman, and I think being a woman who's also mom wasn't a professional. You know, my mom had some secondary education. She had some junior college. Um, but, you know, and, and even now I'm just realizing my mom was like, oh, I didn't have a career. I didn't have a dream. And I always thought of my mom as not having a career. And then like like two months ago, I realized my mom was a medical interpreter for like 10 years when I was mm-hmm. growing up. Hello, that's a career mom. <laughs> and you were really good at it and it was a skill set and people valued it and not only were you very like technically savvy and capable but she also had a lot of heart and really helped out a lot of people and cared for them and at a time when they, you know, are in need. And uh but I didn't realize until a couple months ago, you know. <laughs> anyway, but but I didn't I I just I had no I had no image in my head of where I was going with math, you know, and, and if there isn't any sort of reason in that moment to keep pushing ahead, you know, like, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm learning and I feel like I'm successful or I feel like I'm part of a community, then I just think there wasn't anything to keep me in it. So I didn't take Math 52 the next quarter. And I was thinking about, and I think I also took a chem class, but, and, and it might just be that I wasn't as crazy for chemistry as maybe one needs to be. You know, I remember there being like, a, a lunch the professor invited people to. And I don't know how you got invited to it, but I wasn't invited, but someone mentioned it. And I guess I could have gone. But I think at that point, I just was like, I felt, you know, that science club that my physics teacher brought me into at that point, I, for whatever reason, I felt like I wasn't part of the club anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I just just stopped pursuing the sciences at that point. I, I think I, I took Math 51, and then I, I think I took a chem class, and I think I tried thermodynamics the next semester the next quarter but I remember it like thinking come on Caroline like try (laughs) you know so I would try to like get myself to go through the motions like I would go to office hours where the grad students would be but I would show up to the office hours and I didn't know any of the grad students they didn't know me I didn't know any of the other students in the class they would they would just be sitting there and and I didn't and I was having a hard time like I didn't even know what questions to ask I didn't even know what I should be doing to study for it, you know, and, 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 and perhaps I was too spoon fed in England. Like 
they really wanted us to do well on our exam. So they really made clear what we needed to know, what we needed to do. And maybe that's too much, but, but I don't know, maybe not, right? It's not crazy to think that as instructors, you need to let your students know what they need to know and maybe guide them in terms of how they can prepare. And I felt like at I imagine most colleges that's not happening and maybe we're adults and need to take care of that for ourselves. But I don't know, 17, 18, 19, I think, I think, I think universities could probably do a lot better in terms of instruction. And, and anyway, I just, I went to the office hours and and I felt just like I didn't, it wasn't productive at all. And I felt so, so in that chem class, I don't think, I think I got a C probably. And, and, and I think, if you're used to getting A's to get a C, just it just feels like failure. And you know, potentially, any you know, failure is good. Um, you know, but I think you need a support system. You need, or, or you know, again, it's like that purpose. Like failure is good, and if you know where you're going and you fail, well, at least you still know where you're going. And I, and again, I think lacking that kind of, oh, I, I'm gonna be this or I'm gonna be that. I didn't have it, and then I just kind of, I think just decided to not take those classes anymore. And so, and, and I guess the, alongside that, I was having some success in, in my history classes or, or in my writing classes or in my uh, drama classes. And, uh, and I was really, and I was really interested in history and psychology and really analyzing how things, how, I don't know, really analyzing, I guess, history or society, like like thinking about race and thinking about how it came to be in the U.S. and what factors impacted it and how it developed over time and, and how something like, you know, I was really fascinated by how sometimes things like legislation can can lead to kind of cultural development of culture, I guess. And like, I remember learning that in New York City, they started to tax your business more if there was dancing, so if you were at a place that served alcohol and there was dancing, you were taxed more than if you, people were sitting down and drinking alcohol. And that was one of the things that led to the development of jazz being as this more type of music that one listens to rather than one dances to. You know, it was just nuts, you know, or how in the American South, they drum, like things like drumming and dancing um, in kind of African communities that were slaves was very, could be powerful, and almost kind of a source of power. And they outlawed, you know, drumming and they outlawed dancing. And so, and they classified dancing as crossing your ankles. So once you start to kind of, you know, move your feet in a way where you're crossing your legs one in front of the other, that's dancing. And then you can't do that. So then you kind of see start dance to develop where you don't do that. And you more, it's more like a shuffle, shuffling right and shuffling left without crossing your ankles. And I remember just thinking things like that were just fascinating. And so, yeah. And so I thought I would, uh, I, I just started, and, and those classes were smaller, right? Like, like, you know, there were like 16, 18 people and you, and we would go there and we would talk and we would discuss our readings. And, and then there was that community and those relationships and that learning going on as, as a community, that kind of collaborative learning going on. And it just wasn't, I didn't feel like what's happening in the sciences, science classes. And so I think it was just, so, so then I, I decided to major in comparative studies in race and ethnicity. And I guess you know, even though I hadn't fully committed to the idea of becoming an engineer or, or I don't know what else, but, but at that point it was, uh, yeah, it, I, 
I stopped pursuing the sciences and then I, but, but I also found something else I really enjoyed doing, you know, writing about and thinking about. Still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I remember at career, like our junior, senior year, there were career fairs and I just didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't, I'm like, I'm going to go to a company and like sell something or consult for what, like that they couldn't do themselves. Like I just, I couldn't. And again, I think sometimes it was hard when you don't have that model, you know, I, 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 it's interesting, you know, a couple, you know, five years ago, I moved to LA to pursue acting. You know, I had this dream of being an actress when I was younger. And I think so much of it had to do with the fact that that's the only really successful, respected women in the public eye that I saw were actresses like growing up. Like I, I felt like if, if you're a woman and you're like reliable and talented and smart, you know, and, and successful, you're an actress, right? Like all the other women I saw around me were, were stay at home moms and, um, or, you know, didn't have work that got a lot of respect from society, you know, like taking care of kids or like cleaning up after people. Like I, like I just was at a loss for what to be, like, what should I model myself after? And I think it was basically Julia Roberts, you know, was, was like, who I should model myself after. And I think, but, you know, here was at Stanford and I wasn't necessarily going to be an actress right then. And, and I didn't know what else I was going to be. And that was just really confusing. And, uh, and, uh, but at the time you actually were in, uh, the Stanford teacher of education and, uh, sorry, the Stanford Teacher Education Program. And you talked about how it was awesome. And it was about like kind of their motto is teach to change the world. And that sounded awesome. And um, and you said it was a great program. And you said how they really, they teach you the way they want you to teach your student. And I remember thinking that, that that's the way to do it, you know? And I remember just, you had a lot of respect for the, for the School of Ed at Stanford. And, and then I went to a talk, I think given by, maybe one of the deans at the School of Ed. And she talked about education. And then she talked about all those other things I was really passionate about, like the history of education in America and issues of equity, um, racial equity and, also, and gender equity and class equity. And, and I was just like, this, this, is, this is so important. And I'm really interested in this. And I think I have a lot maybe to bring to this field. And I remember she also said that the field of education was a good career field because can do a lot of different things in the field of education and there's a lot of room for growth. And it was something that clicked for me, especially at a time when I had no idea what I wanted to do for a career. It's just that whole idea was so foreign to me. And also I think as you know, men and women think, imagine their careers differently maybe, or maybe it was just me, but I was a thought of at someday I'm going to want to have kids. I'm going to want to be a mom and I want to be available to my kids. And so I thought that teaching would fit well with being a parent. You know, you can you know, your day is somewhat flexible after the school day ends and you have summers free and your vacations can align. And that was something that I, yeah, that I considered, you know, and I think, you know, we need, as a society need to also consider that, like, how can we allow our workforce to also be good parents? And anyway, so, so I thought, yeah, like, this, this, this field is, is great and the School of Ed at Stanford sounds wonderful and is really in line with what I value. And, and I also, I think, felt that I had a, like, talents and a skill set that would really do well in the classroom. Like I think I, I like people and I feel like I can talk to people and I have it's easy to develop empathy. And also I felt like I could walk into a classroom and kind of 
you know, command a room, I guess, um, and have kind of confidence in front and standing up in front of students and getting them excited about something and, but also being ready to work one-on-one with students and doing that well too. Um, so I was excited, you know, I was really excited and I applied and, and I got in and that was great. And, and I learned so much in that year, like you said, not the, they, they teach you really well, you know, and they're really great models of teaching. And, uh, you know, things like group work tasks that are worthy of group work and, um, you know, giving you work that is meaningful, that's going to help you understand what you're trying to learn better. And then also that community, you know, my teachers knew who I was. I had, I had, you know, the, the other people in the program with me, we, we knew each other and we even had smaller groups that we broke into. Um, I think we called them supervisories. So there was groups of like two or three students who worked with one grad student and the grad student knew who you were and you met weekly and they came and observed your classroom. I mean, it was just, I think that community component is so powerful. Uh, I think especially if, if for other factors, you know, someone's at risk for not feeling part of that community, whether it's previous failures or gender or race or class or, you know, other things like, I don't know, being able-bodied or feeling depressed. You know, I think having that community is, is really powerful to a successful learning experience, especially if there's any sort of kind of other risk factor going on. And um, and so, yeah, I loved it. And then I, and then I started um, teaching after that. I taught freshman, sophomore English for four or five years. At some point, I moved to LA to pursue acting. And, and that's when I started working as a sub. I decided, and it's so funny because this, this was before the Me Too thing, right? Obviously, it's a couple years ago. And I remember feeling like as a woman, like going into these auditions, feeling like nobody cared what I was bringing into the room with me. And you know, in the sense of my my experience or my strengths or my education, you know, my my parents, you know, especially my mom wanted so much that I would get an education so that I could, you know, stand on my own two feet and that I would have independence. And 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 she wanted so much for us to to have education. And she was so proud that both her girls went to Stanford and and had graduate degrees. And and I would walk into these auditions and, and sometimes people would talk to you very disrespectfully. And I'm not, I'm not really used to that. Most of the time when you walk into, like, I, I think I have the privilege of most of the time, most of the rooms I walk into, people know I went to Stanford and that I'm lucky enough that that garners respect and, or I don't know, maybe most other environments just respect you. <laughs> maybe yes. maybe sure. um, but yeah, some of these audition rooms, it's just, you would sometimes it was kind of demoralizing and um like I had one guy ask me if I knew how to read and yeah and and then just not like a caring like sweetie do you do you know how to read you know I know like do you know what do you not know how to read you know and I just I uh and then and then like another time it was to be I was auditioning to be to like play a producer trying to for a reality show of surfers and I had to audition with my shirt off. Like I had to come in a bikini and like take my shirt off because like they wanted to know what I look, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I was like, okay. And then also, and I'll, yeah. So at some point I, and, and I was subbing and I was also actually working one-on-one with students at the time. So I was, I was tutoring and I remember I got this audition, this call from my agent to work for a Sony commercial. And if you're a struggling actor in, in, in LA and you get a call from your agent for a Sony commercial, you're going to that audition. And then if you get it, oh my gosh, you're the envy of all your fellow Hollywood wannabe actors. Like, oh, you got a Sony commercial? Oh, wow, you've made it, man. And I remember like 
excited and stressing out because I had a tutoring session, right? And, and, you know, part of what was nice about tutoring and subbing and trying to go on auditions was that it's flexible and you can kind of cancel and or work with families and reschedule and stuff. But all of a sudden I was like, this is what I'm aiming for to be in a Sony commercial, you know? And like, that's m- me making it here and, and thinking about all that I think, especially my mom had wanted for me. And, and it just felt incredibly unfulfilling on top of the fact that I didn't feel respected, I guess, you know, by and large. And, and then I had the student who had a test the next day and I know, you know, her mom and I talk about how much more confident she feels going into her test the next day when she and I are able to work together. And I just, it was so, it was just so clear, you know, it was so clear where I needed to be that day. And it was, you know, working with my student and not going on that Sony commercial audition. And so, you know, a couple of weeks later, I, I got up the courage to tell my agent, I, I, I don't, I, I want to pursue education. I don't want to stay. I don't want to keep acting anymore. And she said, you know, Caroline, like, I'm sad to see you leave. But you know, I think to be honest, in this world, I think we need more teachers than actors. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, and I, I just felt like I had more to offer this world as an educator. And I wanted to give students what I had when I was young, you know, those, those moments with my dad learning about, um, you know, electromagnetic motors, you know, or, or even, you know, later in high school, when I, when my teachers really complimented me or validated me or, you know, had me work hard and then recognize that hard work. And, um, and so at that moment, I became like, that became my career being an educator and working. And right now I still, I continue to work one-on-one with students and I really, really enjoy it, especially as someone who really loved the sciences for a long time. And now I get to support students, not only as an English teacher, but also as someone who really enjoyed the sciences. And I also think it's great that I didn't, that I help students who don't necessarily feel confident in science. And I had that experience myself. So, so, you know, I think, (laughs) I think, I think if you stay um, present, your path will end up where it's, where it needs to be, you know, I I think, yeah. So, So that's what I'm doing right now. And that's also my history of my education. So, so yeah. Thank you for sharing. I have one question about those experiences in the British system, the American system. You've worked as a classroom teacher, one-on-one. What do you think the purpose of education is? Well, um, you know, I, I think as, as an adult, especially right now, you know, with politics being very – politics is – I guess it should always be in the news, but politics right now is in the news a lot. You know, I think our country is very divided. I think uh, Trump's administration is making us really think about our democracy – and also think about our economy, um, think about our role in the world and our national security. I think it's just because he's, um, what's that word, like a lightning rod? Or he's just very provocative. So I think it's making us all really think, you know, <laughs> whether you agree or disagree with him, he's, he's really prompting us to think. It makes me really think about this whole experiment of democracy and that we need an educated public and an educated public to make decisions and also an educated public to to sustain our economy. And we have to think about the skills we want not only our workforce to have, but also our citizens to have. That's those are the same people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I I think I think about that. Recently I've been thinking about education in terms of that as having citizens and as having a skilled workforce. And I don't know to what extent our school system is really doing that. You know, I think it's this, I, 
I haven't studied it extensively, but I have suspicion that it's still very much the Victorian model and we don't need Victorian workers <laughs> anymore. And I don't know that it's it's changed much. So I think, you know, I think we need we need citizens and we need skilled people. If you had a magic wand and could change one thing about our education system, what would that be? I think uh, smaller classrooms and highly paid teachers. You know, I think, f- for example, there's um, the Teach for America program, um, and it kind of ex- it, it is successful because you have young people coming out of college who are going to give teaching a couple years. And you wouldn't say that about many other professions. You wouldn't, people don't say that about being a doctor or being a police officer. Oh, I'm going to come out of school and just be a police officer for a couple years. I'm going to be a doctor for a couple years and then go do my real job. And I think that's because people don't see teaching, I think a significant percent of the population don't see teaching as, as a real career, right? And it might be for financial reasons. They don't see, like, they have some financial goals. They want to provide for their family. They want to be able to live in a certain place. And realistically, they're savvy and they realize they won't be able to do that on a teacher's salary. I mean, you know, the teachers in West Virginia and Oklahoma right now are striking because they get, you know, I think one woman, I think she was getting low $30,000 a year after being teaching for 15 years with two master's degrees. Wow. And I I don't know what the cost of living is in West Virginia, but that is very striking, very striking. And and I think, you know, I, I don't think necessarily people should go into teaching for the money, but I do think you're ruling out a lot of people by not paying them enough. And, and I also, you know, I work with students one-on-one and I hear sometimes them talk about the teacher, their teachers, and I hear parents talk about the teachers. And I don't think there's just a lot of respect in general in our society for teachers. And I think that just is felt. It, it just, it has an impact. I, I can't see that it, that it couldn't have an impact, you know? So I think with the pay, things would change, you know, and it, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing, but yeah, I, I think we need to have, we need to just invest more and whether it's dollars or something else, I think we really, really need to invest more in, in the people who are in that, in the teachers and the people who are in, in those classrooms. And, uh, and then, and, and, and I think learning community, I think the social aspect of learning is so important. And I think it gets really, really lost and undervalued. And, and, um, and I think those kind of smaller learning, smaller learning communities is, would, would really, really, really help. Yeah, kids learn. Thank you. Um, the last thing I'll ask you is what projects are you working on and where can people find you? Um, so you know, I, my husband and I, uh, my husband has a video production company and um, we really want to make uh, education videos and, and kind of have them available online. And there's, um, and to try to do it in such a way that's really fun and engaging. Brett, my husband, did not was not the student that I was. <laughs> he he barely graduated high school. I think he, in fact, I think he had to get he had to convince someone to change a, a pass fail class into a graded class so that he could actually meet the gradu- graduation requirements for his high school diploma. So, <laughs> so he does have a high school diploma, and uh, and he just felt like school wasn't they just weren't engaging him. You know, he was, had a lot of skills. He loved learning. He still loves learning, but just high school wasn't, just didn't do it for him. And so I think between the two of us, we're really excited about bringing, trying to use video as a medium to not just really only present the concepts. Cause I think a lot of people are doing that online. Like they're just presenting the information. You can Google anything right now, but to present it in such a way that learning is really happening. And that's the challenge because if you're if you're presenting content on online, there isn't really that social component I was talking about. So how do we overcome that? So he's he's very talented, and uh, and we're and we're both pretty passionate about it. So we're hoping we're hoping to 
to do that. Yeah. Great. And what's the company name? Uh, so our company is called Graham Productions and our website is www.grahamproductions.com. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again for listening. This is Nathie Rodriguez, and I leave you with my favorite quote by Albert Einstein. The significant problems we face today cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them.